0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. This logo here is a heads up. Uh, A little over two decades ago, the music industry decided to put uh, the PAL, the Parental Advisory Label, on music that was going to touch on strong language, Or substance abuse, sexuality, and violence. So this logo that we have, biblical advisory, explicit content, is just a heads up that over the next three weeks, we may rub up against those topics. So you may come in here and we may be talking about sexuality or strong language or violence or some kind of substance abuse. And maybe you even notice with a bumper there, they originally included the topic of suicide. So these are just this is just our way of saying hey we're talking about some explicit stuff. But when you see that logo it's easy to kind of think explicit is synonymous with the idea of bad or heavy or wrong or something like that. And that's not really the case. We're going to use the word explicit as it's supposed to be defined and defined in from the dictionary that means clear or direct or even blunt. So when we rub up against some of these topics, we want you to know that we're going to do so with clarity. It's going to be direct and it's going to be blunt. Because if we believe, like we say we do, that the Bible is the Word of God, then we really want to take it for what it says and apply that to our lives. Is that fair? Okay, so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the base text of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I would ask you, it's got about 70 verses, 60, 70 verses in it. And here in a minute, we're going to read through all of them together, full voice, standing, holding hands. All right? Just kidding. Just kidding. But what I'm not kidding about is I would like for you to make this a part of your devotional time or if you have a certain time of the day where you read scripture, if you could work in John 6, we'd love for you to just follow along over the next three weeks and really become familiar with what this text says. And that's for two reasons. One, when you get through near the end of this text, you see that Jesus is teaching with a lot of clarity. He's talking with a little bit of metaphor, but a lot of clarity about who he is, what's going on, and what he brings to this world. And it reaches a point to where the people are hearing it. And some of them say, hey, this is too hard. We don't want any of it. And they're gone. They leave. So Jesus looks around at the people who's left and he says, does this offend you? So some of the stuff we're going to be talking about could be offensive. But we want to lean into that and see what's really going on. And the second reason I want you to walk through John uh, really for this morning is that this sets up the story of Judas. And here in a few moments, we're going to take a really close look at kind of the end point of Judas' life and see what we can draw out, what the Word of God has to say to us explicitly today about his life. So, all good? Ready to go forward? So Jesus is walking around on a time, we're going to be in John chapter 6, walking around on a time. And you think the people, I think they're getting mixed messages because he's doing some really, really cool stuff, and they're benefiting from it, so they're leaning in. He has their attention. They're leaning into it, but I don't think it's the right message for them to get, the one that they're picking up on. Before we go any farther, anybody love the radio? Yeah? Yeah? Still like the radio? Yeah? I still love the radio. I know we got CDs, and um, you can hook your phone up into all that jazz, but I love the radio. My favorite button is the seek button. I don't like to scan because when you first scan it stays on there too long. And if you know anything about me and music, I'm not a lyric guy. I love the sound. Lyrics, I butcher them all the time. I usually don't know what the song is saying. Michelle makes fun of me. I love the sound. So when I click seek and it goes, I know exactly .3 seconds if I want to hear that or not because of the sound. Anybody else like that? Yeah, same way. Jason, Yes, yeah, same way. So flying down the interstate, windows down on a summer evening or morning, when, uh, music blaring, seek, 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 seek. Ah, oh, there it is. I love that feeling. So several years ago, I was commuting to Johnson Bible College. Get that detail. Bible College student, okay? At the same time that I was doing this particular commute, I was a full-time pastor. Really important to know, pastor... Bible college student so I'd have to leave this two and a half hour commute I'd leave really early and I'd have snacks coffee and then I'd have my favorite music And when I got tired of that I would do the seek 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 button thing so I'm flying down the interstate it's kind of warm this one morning I've got the windows down jamming to some stuff now I want your respect here okay we talk about transparency and being real with people and sometimes when pastors do that people point fingers so I'm going to be transparent you up for that All right, so I'm jamming to this one particular song, full-time pastor, full-time Bible college student, and I am just into it. And it's a song by ACDC. I'm on a highway to hell, and I am just (laughs) flying down the interstate, loving it. So that goes on for some time. It's one of my favorite songs, actually. Love the sound. I'm not a lyric guy, but the sound of music gets me. So I'm on the way to college one day, and it just hits me a different way. I'm singing this, and I'm not a singer, but I'm like full voice into this song. And on this particular morning, I realize, wait a minute. This is a big-time mixed message. I hope I'm on the highway to heaven, and here I am declaring that I'm on the highway to hell. And I would bet that maybe it's not music, and maybe it's not some of the stuff that we're going to see Jesus' followers are into. Maybe it's something unique to your life. But I bet there's some kind of mixed message going on. Especially a group this size. And I'm curious as a pastor here, if you're listening to the wrong one. And here's how Jesus goes about it. He's fed a bunch of people. He's done some great miracles. And now he's trying to get away and do more ministry in this little region. So he he goes off for a little bit. And the people follow him. And when they found him, they found him on the other side of the lake. They said, hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? And notice Jesus doesn't answer their question He goes in and he says Hey, I'm going to tell you the truth I tell you the truth You're looking for me Not because you saw all these signs that I were doing That were showing you who I really am And what I can really bring to your life You're looking for me because I filled your tummy I gave you some bread And you ate So he's like, time out I get that And I I want to help you But what I really want to do is bring the truth to you. And as you walk through John, you'll see that this statement, I tell you the truth or I am the truth, Jesus uses this three or four more times throughout that whole section. He says, I'm telling you the truth here. And from a leadership perspective, he's doing what every good leader knows to do. Whether you're the leader in your family or whether you have a business and you're the leader or whether you're the leader in a church in some capacity, every leader knows One of your primary responsibilities, maybe, arguably, your primary objective is you define reality for people. You define reality for yourself and for those that you serve or that you work with, your team or whoever else. You define reality and say, this is the truth of the matter. This is the truth of the relationship. This is really what's going on in the capacity of life. Here it is. And when you look at the New Testament, when we read the word truth, it's the same word that they had and used for reality. So Jesus comes along and says, I want to bring you the reality. Sure, I'm feeding you, but I really want you to look at something else. There's some other message I have for you. And it's really interesting because he actually goes on in a few chapters, and he makes a very explicit comment that's offensive to some people. In John 14, he's walking around to his followers, and Thomas said, Hey, Jesus, we're, we're kind of buying into what you're saying. We're getting it. But we're not sure where you're going with all this. So how can we know the way? Pause before you go to the next slide. How can you know the way? That's a setup question. So several years ago, Michelle and I, we took this train from London, celebrating our anniversary, took this train from London into Paris, and we get off in this French-speaking area, and we do not know French. And we're not sure where, where we need to go other than we need to go to a station called or a port or something called Charles de Gaulle. I familiar? Yeah, so we weren't. So we're looking for this, and apparently this guy overhears our conversation, and he comes up to us in a really rapid French, and this heavy accent says, shot a guy, shot a guy? And I'm like, you shot a guy? What? What?" (laughs) Like, no, he's like, shot a guy, and that's his accent. He was saying, oh, you're looking for this. And he actually starts leading us in the right direction. You could say in that moment where we were lost, He became the way for us. So when Thomas says, hey, we don't know the way, Jesus says, I am the way. And I am the truth, the reality, and the life. And then he makes this really explicit content. You could say it's the explicit lyric of the section. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this isn't some kind of arrogant claim by Jesus. This is Jesus understanding who he is and looking at us and saying, I'm truth. And if you look to me, you'll see the reality of your lives. And I can become the way forward for you. So Jesus becomes the way that you and I live life, or at least should live life. He gets a little more explicit. Paul picks up on this, and notice what he writes. 1 Timothy 2 5. There is only one God. That's it. No more. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can bring us to God. Jesus Christ is the one who will look at you and me and tell you the truth. Even if it's uncomfortable. He will define reality. So that we can be real with him, find our life in him, and find our way in this life. So, you know, I baptized my oldest daughter uh, some time ago. And you know I love whiteboards, right? So I had this whiteboard and I drew a little something out for her. She was in my office and we were talking about the whole baptism deal. And I had to go out and buy a new whiteboard because I saved this one. This has become something very special to me. Uh, You can see that over here, and I know you can't really see it, right? It's too small, and you can't read my writing. I get it, yeah. So over here, we've got the word God. And this this is what we did in my office with my daughter, a presentation of the gospel, starting with God. And as we walked forward in this conversation, I noticed that she started crying. And by the end of it, she's bawling. But she's not bawling because she bought into some self help philosophy, or because she aligned herself with the political party that's really promoting her values, or because she was able to check off the best set of spiritual practices and be done. She's bawling, she's in tears because of the truth of the gospel, which brought her face to face with reality. And the reality is there's God. There's God who is holy, 100% perfect all of the time, beautiful, all love, all light, this holy, perfect God. And then there's me and you and my daughter, and we're over here, and we have nothing. We have nothing to bring this God Nothing. So there's this gap. And the only thing that bridges this gap is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on this cross, you and I see the reality of our sin. You and I see the reality of our lives. And this makes it possible for us and the Father to meet. That's the essence of Christianity. That's the essence of what Jesus is saying I can bring you to the Father. I will speak in realistic terms to you about your life. But sometimes we we have these mixed messages. So you can be lost. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost in kind of a small sense. You are a Christian. You are a Christ follower. You show up to church regularly. You know, you're, you're actually volunteering in some capacity around here. But you're a little lost with direction. Because there's some mixed messages. And you're you're just unsure which way to go. Or maybe you're lost in more of a a larger sense. You have no direction. And maybe you're giving church here one last shot before you make some other kind of move. But there's some mixed messages in your life. And those messages, they can run deep. They can run so deep. They start to mess with your heart. And they mess with your mind. And then you 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 realize... This isn't good, but on a certain day, at a certain time, it feels right or it makes sense. Something starts taking shape, or that's how the Bible puts it. Notice James 1. Notice this language. When you're tempted and temptation comes to everyone, amen, am I right? Do you agree? We all get tempted, tempted to do wrong, but when we're tempted, we don't say, hey, God's doing this to me. God's putting this on me. He's behind this. You don't say God's doing the tempting. God can't be tempted. And he will never tempt anyone to do wrong, ever. If you're tempted to do wrong, God's not in it. A man is tempted to do wrong when he lets himself. He lets himself be led by what his bad thoughts are telling him to do. You've got that mixed Message, and you lean into the bad thoughts and what they're telling you to do. And on any given day, and maybe today is the day with you, these bad thoughts seem good. They seem right. For some warped reason, they make sense. When he does what his bad thoughts tell him to do, he sins. And when sin completes its work... It brings death. So as a pastor, I love to check in with you guys. I know sermons can be more of a monologue, right? So you don't get input. So I call these timeouts so I can check in and just ask you, what is taking shape in your life? Has there been some kind of temptation? And temptation's not always, hey, just don't look at something inappropriate or don't drink. It's not always limited to that. Sometimes it's big stuff that really messes with us. And over time, we lean into it, and it begins to take shape in our lives. We, we could look at it like this. When you think about taking shape, we've got some things we should do and things we shouldn't do. And when you consider this word done, we could put sin under here. Uh, some of the stuff we've done, sin, here it is. Or some of the stuff we're going to do once it's done, sin. And then up here, we could put maybe Christ or God or the cross or something like that. And you think about the do, if you're connected to the truth a lot of the way, if you're connected to Christ, if he's drawing fully, more fully into his will, if you're here, then you realize that Christianity, it's so much less about what we do and so much more about what has been done for us. So everything we do, church, Bible reading, connected to your D group or your life group or your volunteering your serving, we're doing that not to earn anything. We're doing that because of what has been done for us. So it's out of an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to our great God who has sacrificed himself for us. That's why we do these things. But sometimes I see this happening. There's this undercurrent. And there's some things we shouldn't be doing, thoughts we shouldn't be having. And this undercurrent will eventually lead to sin or death. So, my question to you is what's taking shape? What's taking shape in your life and how is that playing out? I want you to think about this because I imagine in a group this size, there's probably several of us dealing with some stuff under the current here. And some stuff that's not healthy, not wise, not helpful is beginning to take shape. And that's what happened with Judas. Uh, we won't read this part of the story, but when you see the life of Judas. There's this one uh, section of the Bible that says that Satan entered him with these thoughts. Satan entered him and began to tempt him with this idea of betraying Jesus. Turning on Jesus, who had followed for nearly three years. Turning on him, betraying him, and actually handing him over to be condemned and sentenced to death. And when we pick up with Judas's story, that's taking shape in his life. So Judas went to the chief priests, to the officers of the temple guard, and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted, and they agreed to give him money. So Judas consented, and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. I'm wondering, and I've been praying about this all morning, is today an opportunity for you? Something on the undercurrents taking shape, And you've decided that today, maybe after church, maybe later this afternoon or this evening, today, that's the opportunity for me to make this move that's coming out of this mixed message I'm getting. If it is, after the service, I'm going to be to your right. Please come see me. Uh, Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's set up a time where you can come by the office or I can meet you somewhere. And we can talk through life. But if it's an opportunity for something to take shape for you after this service, please don't leave here. Please don't seize that moment. Let's talk about it. So as the story of Judas goes farther, he does hand Jesus over to be betrayed and all that, and Jesus is sentenced to death. And notice in Matthew 27 how his story unfolds. When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned, to, he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. I've sinned, he said. I've betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. Hang out for a second. Keep it on that screen. Did you notice the connection there? Before we go any further, I want you to know I'm not trying to romanticize the story of Judas. I'm not trying to make him out to be the hero or the celebrity of this context here. I'm not trying to necessarily put him in a good light because you know the rest of the story. After he returns the money and confesses, he goes out and he hangs himself. I'm not trying to romanticize this, but I'm trying to be real with it. Because in this little section right here, do you know what Judas did? He defined reality too. Look at the reality of his life the reality is he was seized with remorse. And I'm I'm thinking maybe you're there, maybe you're there today because I've been there. I've done something and it grips me and I regret it and I wish it had never happened. So Judas seized with remorse and then he returns the money. As far as he can, he makes full restitution of this money that he took. And the next He confesses his sin. He actually says, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. From a pastoral perspective, if any one of you all were to come in my office and give me this rundown, do you know what I would call this? I would call this repentance. This is repentance. That's exactly what Judas does. Now, the point I want to underscore is that when Judas repents... He is told, ah, that's not on me, that's on you. That's your responsibility. I don't want anything to do with that. None of my business. I'm wondering if that's the case for anybody in here. Confessing your sins is a big deal. And when you put yourself out there to someone and they say, it's not my responsibility. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Reminds me of the very first song we sang. Do you remember the lyric? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to wander, I feel it. You can feel it. Think of a bullseye. Think of a bullseye. And this is kind of our life, right? Bullseye here. And there are things that are really important to us. And when someone gets that and they shoot the arrow and they nail it and it gets us, we can feel that. But if something's really important to you and it's not there, you can feel that too. Think of a gal who says, you know what, I've been dating this guy for six months. I think it's going somewhere. But laughter is really, really important to me in a relationship. I love to laugh. My family's always been, you know, cut-ups. We love stuff like that. And this guy doesn't make me laugh. She can feel that. And for you and for me, it'll be different for all of us. We've got these things, and some of them hang out around here. Some are closer to the center. But things that are really integral to who we are, they're really important. And when no one hits that arrow, when no one touches base with that, we feel it. When you open yourself up and it's not received, you feel it. It's a void, and that's what sin is. When we read this word sin, the actual word means to miss the mark. To miss the mark of what God has designed or to miss the mark relationally or to miss the mark as a family of God. And we're not responsible for each other. I get that to an extent. You know, leaders always say we're not responsible for everything that happens to us, but we're always responsible for what we do with it. And I get that. But as you and I become integrated into this thing we call church... There is a part of responsibility that we have for one another. So when someone puts themselves out there and they confess, that's not a time to say that's your responsibility. That's a time to lean in and to be there for them. I mean, you think about what your needs are. You've got some kind of affection that you've wanted and over time in the relationship, you just perceive that it's turned into abuse. Or there was this level of intimacy that you had playing out in whatever capacity And then life took a turn, and there's some illness, and you don't have that anymore. You feel that. You feel it. And if you're getting mixed messages when you feel that, it can mess with your heart. It can mess with your mind. And it can cause you to say, you know what? The best decision I could ever do is just check out. That's what happens with Judas. So in prep for this sermon, for about six weeks, I was going over my mind, praying, praying, working through all this, what, what does this series really need to say? What can we talk about? Every blog, I kid you not, every blog, podcast, person like a pastor that I followed on Facebook or Twitter, it seemed like every feed that I could possibly had, there was some article, note, sermon, teaching something about suicide. So it caught my attention and I started thinking about it and processing it, doing a little more research because I'm not an expert on this in any way. And I put some time and biblical attention to it. And stuff started formulating. And I was like, God, do you really want me to bring this up on a Sunday morning? And I was wrestling with those feelings and praying. And I was like, I really do. I think he does. And then I had a confirmation a couple of weeks ago. And I want to ask you, did you get a risk card coming in? We did these a few weeks ago. And I want to make a plea with you. Would you get one of these if you don't have one at the front desk? And we fill it out and write the name of a family member or a friend or someone you're familiar with. We write that on there again. It's someone who doesn't know the truth, Jesus Christ. And we begin fervently praying for them. So I told you about this guy, Dan, that I meet at Starbucks. And we're building a relationship. And, you know, he sits two seats down from me and we're talking. So I was there a few weeks ago. And He was asking if there's this certain bug that's uh, here in this region of Kentucky. And I was like, I don't know. So I Googled it, and we talked about this bug for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then he went about his way, went about mine, and then he left and all that. I don't know what's going on in this guy's mind until I got a text about three days later. And it's from someone that we all know. And they say, hey, I used to live in this neighborhood, and someone just told me that I go over there it took his life. He said, could you call and check and see who it was? And I said, sure. And this guy's name is not Dan. It was Dan a few weeks ago, so I could give him a little privacy. But his name's Doug. And the message came back, and it was confirmed that it was this guy. So I go over to Starbucks, and I go in, and I ask the baristas if they knew about this because he's kind of a fan favorite over there. They take really good care of him, just a really neat guy, a good guy. And they say they hadn't heard, and... I said, yeah, I just got word, and I hope that I was going to come in here and open this door and see the back of his head like, like I always do. Here's the thought I want to put in your mind right now. Let's take Starbucks. You've got me and Doug. We're two seats down. You've got a handful of baristas and then in-outcoming customers. So maybe, what, 10, 12, 15 people max at any given moment in there? And there's one of them that's struggling so badly that he's leaning into these bad thoughts. He's got these mixed messages. And they're messing with him to the point where he thinks the very best decision is to check out. So if that's true for 10, 15 people in a coffee shop, what if we brought those people from the coffee shop and put them in here in a church building? And we up the numbers to, what do you think's in here? 253, 350? Would that increase the number of people who are sitting here this morning struggling so badly that you're listening to these mixed messages and the bad thoughts are making sense to you and they're saying, you know what, the best decision is for you to just check out? If that's you, will you give it one more shot and let me know and let's talk? Let's try to introduce you maybe in a way you've never been introduced before to this guy who claims to be truth and life and allow him to show you the way forward. So what we're going to do with the next few minutes of service is we're going to dedicate it and we're going to make it a moment uh, where it's a challenge. For some of you, it's going to be a challenge to confess because maybe you're on the side of I'm sorry and you've got some apologizing to do. So maybe this is a challenge for you to confess some sin, to open yourself up. Instead of just carrying it around so long, it's a heavy burden, a heavy weight, and it's been with you maybe even for years, maybe for decades, and you don't know how to deal with it, so you're just going to end it. Let's take a different approach. Or maybe the rest of the service for you is going to be a prompt for prayer. A prompt for prayer, so that if you see someone come down, they're part of your prayer time. Or if you've got someone on your wrist card, they're a part of your daily prayers. And here's why we're doing this. James chapter 5, I want you to notice this connection. Confess. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The combination of prayer and confession so that you can be healed. And I bet in a group our size, there's a bunch of you. You know exactly how healing feels. When we were singing, His love never fails, it took me back to being in a hospital. Michelle and I, our family, we had lost everything. We thought we were going to lose my life, and here I am today. I get that. And some of you get it. You know how healing feels. And it feels good. You've been restored or transformed. You've been forgiven. You know people are praying for you. You're connected to a community. And if we were to look at your life and ask you to relay your story, the past two or three years would be filled with nothing but the good grace of our God effective in your life. The Apostle Paul said, hey, God's grace, it was not without effect to me. And that's why here at Northeast, one of our core values is this idea of grace where God comes into our lives and he shows us the reality but then he shows us the way forward and in doing that he gives us life as he leads us to the Father and I bet if that's you you've experienced this great grace we just start standing just start standing and here's why everybody, other people around you they need to know that you've experienced this that confession or prayer has been a part of your life and you've experienced that healing. They need to see that this is true. There could be somebody in here right now who's thinking about checking out. And you can show them that there's a better option. So, what we're going to do right now is we're going to stand. And if you've received the great grace of our God, we're going to worship Him and praise Him for it. In our prayer meeting before our services this morning, one of our elders, Cam Morrison, was talking about how you know at basketball games or sporting events we get all into it and we don't mind to throw our hands in the air or scream or whatever or shout to full voice but we come in here to church for some reason the bar is lowered in our worship so if you've experienced that healing you know exactly how it feels to be healed you've confessed you've got people praying for you then give God the glory he deserves through His great, great grace. Father, we praise You. And we acknowledge that we are here for one reason, and that's because of You and Your grace. To Your glory we praise You. Amen.